Alright, you wanna just do the Yeah. Is it recording again still? It's yeah, I didn't stop. Welcome back to episode number four of Direct a Podcast. My name is Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And we are really excited to talk with our guest this week, Daniel Krog Jacobson. Daniel is a super talented director out of Denmark. You may recognize him from his music videos that he's done for the band Rye. And Daniel also has six Vimeo staff picks, which is a lot. So uh, before we get into the interview, Keenan, yeah, you want to hear a joke? Mm-mm, nope. All right, then. Let's get to it. Daniel, thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, so just to uh, get right into it, why don't you tell us how you got your start directing professionally? Well, I, I got my start before I went to film school in America, but before I went over there, I was doing all sorts of different things in the film industry here in Denmark. Um, I was doing, I, I started out as a runner and then I kind of worked myself up and did editing assisting and I did a, a lot of casting um, and I did a lot of also, uh, I was a, a, a director's assistant for different uh, commercial directors here. Um, and then I started doing music videos before I went to film school, um, but didn't really live off of doing film. Um, but I did a video right before I went to film school, which is uh, for a band, Danish band called When Saints Go Machine. Um, and that kind of got me started. So while I was in film school, I got, I got signed to um, a company called RSA. Um, and, and yeah, so kind of while I was in film school, I started doing professional directing i guess and and what what film school did you go to i went to a school called afi american film institute which is in in los angeles mm-hmm. what what was what was your experience there like would you think it was really worthwhile yeah i mean um i had had this weird thing I, i've always wanted to go to the danish film school which i'm sure you guys have never heard of but um, in Denmark, it's pretty well known. Lars von Trier went there, and Thomas Winterberg, and Susanne Bia, and a lot of other Danish directors who I really admire. Um, and I had it, it's always, it's only every other year you can apply, and there's only six six people who get in every other year. Um, so I had tried to get in there three times in a row. So basically, spent six years of my life trying to get in there. And then the final year, I, I also applied for AFI. Um, so it was kind of like the second option, I guess you can call it. Um, um, and I didn't get into the film school here. So I, I, I mean, I, I basically, I went to LA. I had had a little bit of experience over there beforehand. Um, and I liked it a lot. I mean, I had, I had one, one particular teacher who I really, really liked. Um, and he basically, um, he's a guy who I think about quite a lot in my daily life, his teachings. So for that, it was worth it. Um, and also for having known a little bit more about how film is produced in America and in Los Angeles. Um, that was, I mean, I've only been back once since I graduated um, working there. And it was, I think it was much less scary than it would have been if I had never known how, how does it work to film something, you know, 
what what is a 30 mile zone and um right. you know why is there trailers everywhere and stuff like that so yeah daniel this is keenan um do you find that you are using any of the crew that you use there do you um, you know, have you made some connections at AFI that you've now you you now use in your professional, or is it kind of hard because you're um, in a different country? It is. It's really hard. I mean, I, the VP who who um, shot my feature, her name is Ava Burkowski. Um Sorry, not my feature, my my thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, her and I will definitely work again. Uh, she's really really talented. Um, so I, I keep I I I, I talk to her fairly often but when i go around in the world i normally bring danish dps with me mm-hmm. um or work with local uh, dps um so so yeah i mean I, I haven't really worked again with any people that i that i met at afi but there's a couple of people that i still keep in touch with and i have this weird feeling that one day it will have meant a lot that we know each other somehow um but also just what I did was I came home to Denmark and I started working um, different places in the world doing commercials, but also worked uh, quite a lot in Scandinavia. And it is, as you say, really hard to pay a DP to fly here when, when you know, there's really good people as well here to work with. So, Right. And, you know, I guess what, what's the industry like over there? Do you find that you're able to get just as much work there as you would anywhere else, like in LA or New York? I mean, it was really a strategic choice to move back home. Um, I knew that I would much easier be able to to work here than in America. Um, I, I'm an American citizen. My mom's American, so it's not really okay. that that wasn't a problem. Um, it was more, the problem was more that um, you really, there's a lot of people in Los Angeles who want work. Um, yeah, very saturated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and and even though I was really lucky, I was with this company called RSA. Um, I I was just I knew that I would be be out there struggling for for many years. Um, and another thing that was interesting was while I was in film school, I was doing all these music videos, and we were always shooting them in Scandinavia, just also because of budget and casting. I, I think casting over here is so much easier. Um, the acting culture here is is really something else. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any Danish TV dramas. They've been coming to America the last couple of years, um, and also this this uh, show called The Killing, which is a Canadian mm-hmm. um, American show, was actually a Danish show before they converted it. Um, and it's just there's this quality here. So so I was I was pretty set on coming home. I actually went home. Um, two months before my thesis film um, was finished and finished it here with a Danish sound designer and stuff. Um, so I think it's a lot easier for for people to get, get to work here. There's also a culture of working for free here that's really different. Um, on all the music videos I did before film school, I didn't pay anybody to work on them. Um, but people would, people would, 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 you know, would want to do it. Uh, and, and also, I also found that at AFI, we were three Danish directing um, students in my class, and and you could actually feel that people from Denmark had had experience much before. I'm actually I'm not going to say anything about talent because that's not what it was. It was just more that we had had a camera in our hands. Um, right. 
much earlier, you know, because you go to you go to university over there and you and you do a film program, but you're not really, you know, you're not really you're not really um, getting acquainted with it in the same way as you could here, where we have this this um, the 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 government actually has like a like a film talent development program where you can apply for money and they have an editing facility and you can borrow equipment from them um, and get production money as well. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, I directed my first film when I was seventeen and got the first time I had the grant from the government. I think I was about twenty or twenty-one, maybe. Um, so it's just an, there's another culture here for film, basically. Um, in the old days, the, the American Film Institute would give these grants. Um, David Lynch's first short film was granted by the AFI in the, in America when in the 60s um and it's too bad that that isn't around anymore over there uh daniel it, it seems like in, in america and you'd know because you've now been to both it's in america it seems much more studio driven money driven where in it sounds like um in, in denmark and the scandinavian countries it's more of an art form that the countries are trying to promote um would you mm. would, would you give any merit to that like that it's you know, it's it's more of an art. A film is more of an art in, you know, where you are. Yes and no. I mean, I think there's there's a, there's a huge. Um, I wouldn't even call it an indie scene anymore in in mm-hmm. in, in, in Los Angeles and, and New York because I mean, indie films at least had a budget, you know, of a few million dollars. Right. Um, but now it's more just like you know, Lena Dunham style, um, two hundred thousand dollars if you can get that on Kickstarter. Um, and, and I think people who are working with those budgets definitely still see it as, as an art form and they get freedom to do um, the films that they want to do. And I, and, I, and I know and I can see that a lot of directors who come from there um, still are doing films that are in their, in their mindset. Um, so I don't think that it's all money, you know, I mean, but um, there is definitely these, I mean, there's, you know, there's films that are too big to fail. And, and that's how it always been. But it seems as though there's a lot more of those films that come out from the studio system. And we don't have any of those here, basically. You know, yeah. we don't have that. We you just don't have, I mean, um, a decent sized budget in, in Denmark for a feature would be like $3 million. Um, yeah. So it's different. In that way, the money is also just smaller. And maybe that, that also means that we do films that are a bit more arty i don't yeah. know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um um but there's definitely i mean i mean you know i the, most of my favorite filmmakers still at the moment are american so um there's definitely a lot of um people there making making really good films right um you know so you've talked about uh, you do obviously do commercial work narrative mm. and music mm. videos um, you know, what, which of those would you say is your favorite and why? Um, I, I find it, it's, it's different. Each, each kind of, uh, you know, each film you put out is, is special. Of course, for me, I've just been through this, this period where, um, I started doing commercials two or three years ago, and then it actually picked up quite a lot a year ago. And I've done last year, I think I did maybe 10 commercials. Um, that was a bit too much in a year um, because you don't really have yourself in them 
all the all the time. Yeah. Um, so the films that I like to do is the films that when I leave um, when I leave the film, I, I find I, you know something I can be proud of. Um, and uh, you know that could be a commercial if if uh, if the idea is really great and you think that you've made something that you know. Um, once in a while, there's a commercial where everybody gathers around on Facebook and loves it together. <laughs> right. Um, but I definitely think that anything that has actors in it and a story and maybe a narrative that's a bit longer um, is what I would say that I'm good at or better at. So, uh, so now that you're you know out of film school and um, you know you're, you're doing a lot of commercial work stuff like that. Um, are you, are you signed with a production company and kind of how was your relationship with uh, your production company or co- companies like mm. in, in bringing you commercials and, and, and work? Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so RSA um, happened already in 2012. Um, and, and basically that's, that's a, you know, that's a relationship where there's directors reps working at the company who get um, projects boards sent from all over the world and they um, cipher them out to their directors um, knowing what kind of where they are in their life you know at the moment I'm kind of taking a hiatus and, and writing a bit on a, on a narrative project um, so they know that maybe right now they don't need to send me as much um, so that's one that's one production company that I'm that I'm signed with, and then in Scandinavia, I have a, I've been um, one of the people who started this production company called New Land, which uh, is amazing. Which really... <laughs> oh, good! I'm happy. I hope you think so. Um, yeah, we have really good directors. I feel also, and these people are all people who, in a weird way, came together because the, my Danish producer and the Swedish producer knew each other, and they had done. I had done my Rye videos and my Winsainsko Machine videos with my Danish producer here, and Gustav Johansson, who is a Swedish director, had mm-hmm. um, done done things with his producer Eric um, at another company, and so they left that company and set up New Land, and then a couple of months later we followed here in Denmark, um, and it's just really like a familiar thing. Um, it's it's basically. I'm at our office right now, <laughs> um, and and uh, tonight we're having a party, and a bunch of people flew down from from Sweden, um, you know. And it's just we're we're basically just like uh, people who like each other. Um, that's 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 why it works. That's um, a major key. It is. It is. It really is. I mean, it's like a family. Um, and I and I always I always look forward to coming in to the office, basically. Um, and so at the moment, for instance, I'm writing this feature, but I'm sitting in the office doing it, and people around me are doing other projects and working on commercials and music videos. And um, and that's basically, I think, the that's where, because I also live in Copenhagen and my office is here, that's, that's like the life nerve. That's like the company that I'm mostly connected to. Um, and with that, it's also just project sharing. You know, as soon as you get into a production company, you see how it works. It's like one director is approached by, by um, either a, a production company in another country who wants them to come there on a loan out or mm-hmm. a, an agency sends something directly to us. And for instance, if somebody else isn't available and, and if I really like the board, then they'll send in my reel instead and then... Um, I mean, I, I think I really got going because I was lucky that, that Gustav um, 
for instance, was in a position where he had a lot of things that he didn't want to do <laughs> a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and I and I wanted to do them. Um, so that was basically how I got my start. You know, I was I was uh, second in command, and that you know that just helped me a lot. Um, so yeah, if I hope that answers. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, I guess transitioning a little more technical questions, like what, mm-hmm. what's your, what's your relationship like with your DP and, mm-hmm. you know, I, would you consider yourself a kind of hands-on director, kind of like very involved with the cinematography or are you more so focused on story and the actors? Definitely the latter. Um, I mean, I, I, I as the more I direct, the more I can see that I know what I want visually. Um, I've always, basically, this happened a year ago. I was I was prepping this this Ford um, short film um, that I did with with the DP who shot that, which is a Danish guy who I worked with six years ago, and then he went to film school, and I moved to LA, and we hadn't worked together for many years, and then we started collaborating again last year. And I said in a meeting, I was like, I'm basically not a visual director. I said to him, like, you know, and he said, no, you, you, I mean, how can you not be a visual director? <laughs> it's like, that's basically like, otherwise you would be doing, you know, you would be writing fiction or you would be whatever. Right. Um, and that was, that was nice. I don't know. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but that was just like, <laughs> that was a revelation in a way. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I grew up assisting directors who are hands-on directors in the way that they would hire two camera bodies and they would be sitting on the dolly or something with one camera and the DP would be operating the other or they would have an operator there or something. Um, and I'm just definitely not that kind of kind of guy. Um, I would never hold the camera. Right. Honestly. <laughs> and I don't really know why you would, uh, you would want to do that. I mean, it's like, um, well, I feel you know, like it, just, I feel yeah. like it comes down to trusting your, trusting your DP. I think, I think it seems like a lot of guys that, you know, are super hands on what it really comes down to is they don't really have faith that their that their DP is going to be able to get them what they want. So it's it mm. seems like you've you've been able to find find and work with with DPs that you can trust and you know they're going to execute your vision. I think you're right. I mean, I uh... Some of the directors that I've, I always, I always, I've always asked them why they do it. And one of them told me he, he just basically shoots quicker when he shoots himself. Um, huh. You know, um, I know Michael Bay does it too. <laughs> right. He just wants you to know. do it. <laughs> I don't yeah, think, I don't yeah, think he's I, too focused on the story though. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, you know, and I think my generation of directors also is kind of a counter, counter reaction towards the, the generation right before us who are the generation who holds the camera themselves. Um, and sometimes it could also be, I think on a commercial shoot, it can also give you some, you know, it can give you some power also just towards the client. I mean, if you're the guy who's holding the camera and you're yelling at the, whatever the extras, whatever you're yelling, that could also be like, then the client isn't going to fuck with you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not the way I feel I want to get power over right. the client. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have been really lucky. Um, it was weird when I when I started from the time I did When Saints Go Machine in 2011, and until um, the maybe even not yet. I'm not sure if it's happened yet, but 
I've always worked with a new DP on every film, hmm. um, which is like I've always I've, I've worked with the same ones twice, but it's never been like having the opportunity to work back to back on two films together. Um, basically, because when you shoot commercials, more more often than not, the the, the DPs aren't available. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah. you have a wish list of maybe five names, and one of them comes through. Um, so yeah, so there's also a lot of different people who I've had to communicate with, um, and I think that also teaches you how what you want what you want. Um, and on music videos, I tend to be standing and really directing the camera operating sometimes if there's something I know I want. So and that's okay because there's no dialogue, you know. Um, yeah, I tried something on the last film I shot, which was this music video for for Elton John, actually. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, but I worked with a DP I had never worked with before, a Norwegian guy who's called Eric Wilson. And um, I, I started last year try- working a lot with Zoom, which, um, yeah, which is really nice. Um, and he, he, uh, he basically gave me the remote control for the Zoom. So he would be operating, but I would be in charge of zooming in and out, <laughs> which was really fun because yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that was, it gave me the power to say, oh, let's go in for a close up right here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was kind of a middle ground <laughs> right. between having the camera and not having the camera. So, um, so do you approach, uh, you know, directing actors differently in a narrative piece versus a commercial where you don't have as much um, possible backstory or something like that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that when you're working on a set with with dialogue and scenes that have a beginning, middle, and end, that's mm-hmm. one way of of working with with uh, with people. You know, I mean, the one thing that's always the same is you want to make try to make them feel comfortable, um, and I think you have a much better chance of doing that when it's a longer project. Um, but yeah, on commercials, you can you can sometimes drop the ball and just you know if you have maybe. You know, if you're doing like a vignette film and you have five or six people in a day or maybe even more that you have to like direct on something, it's more or less just like smile less, smile more, mm-hmm. look to the left, right. look to the right, um, eat the product, smile more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being diabolical. But, you, you know, I mean, it's more it's more mechanical. Yes, yeah. right. Um, Precise. But yeah, it's just like you need to order them to do something because they're more or less a model um but if you have a if you have a story then you you have something that you're trying to you know you have a feeling Mm -hmm. that's a bit more you know um maybe it's a bit more complicated it doesn't have to be sometimes it can also be become too complicated when you're directing something that has emotion I, i i have a tendency to do that i think because i'm fairly new to it not that new but you know sometimes i can have actors uh, just say like, just tell me, you know, tell me less. It's okay. You can say, act less. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, you know, go around like two, three different backstories for my character to try to get me to do something that's just basically having me because I'm overacting. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but um, I, I think the 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 thing about you know fiction is all that stuff is fun and really challenging to get people to you know to act and say dialogue that's believable yeah no absolutely 
I mean, every, you know, every actor is so, is so different, obviously. How, Mm. how do you kind of, you know, assess what it's going to take an actor to get to get them to do what you want? Do you like, especially if you don't have much time to get them, get to know them before the shoot? Hmm. That's a really good question, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, how do I do that? I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I should try and think about a certain film, and then we can kind of talk about that. I, I, I'm thinking about this Ford thing again, which yeah. is the, the last time I directed something more narratively. Um, and the guy who plays the father on that film is actually the guy who normally composes music for my films. So I knew him fairly well. He's an actor and a composer. I was about to say, he's a very good actor. (laughs) Yeah, this was also, he used to be, when I was a kid, he had this comedy duo in Denmark that I was a huge fan of. So like when I was 14, I was like one of his biggest fans. And then now suddenly I'm like, yeah, (laughs) he's my composer. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I still kind of starstruck every time I see him. But I think with him, it's like he hadn't done something very serious before. And for me, it was all about just making him feel like he was doing an okay job. And I didn't give him a lot of like in-depth, um, you know, in-depth uh, directing. It was basically just like, you're doing this really well, but, you know, it was more like dummy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the mother, she's a very well-known actor here and has done a lot of, she's been a lead on a, on a big TV show and stuff. And she was, there was much, that was much more like, okay, what are we trying to achieve in this scene? Why are you doing this? You know? And so sometimes there would be like small things where I was like, you can just fucking close the door, but you know, you could, you need to like mold or whatever. I don't know. I I don't really know how to answer the question. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I think you did. I think it's, it's definitely, uh, yeah, I I think it's, it's different in every circumstance. I'm sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, so I, I guess since we since we started talking about the Ford spot, um, how did how did that come about? It's obviously such a such a unique, you know, shooting a sixteen minute film for a client, especially mm. something as big as Ford. It, it's so mm. rare. How how did that come about? Well, it was really um, it, it was basically because of Denmark, I guess, <laughs> because Ford has its own really small marketing department here. Um, they had um, put out a brief to uh, an agency about um, they wanted to do these films that was called um, XX Against the Odds. Um, and and this agency, is, which is called Barry, doesn't really have any in-house creatives. They just basically have, um, they outsource everything. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting with, with, this, with a screenwriter who um, I work with, and we were thinking about what could this project be. And suddenly I think I came up with the idea that how crazy it is that we're always in cars, you know, and all these feature films that have scenes with people in cars and also how when you get divorced, um, you really use your car quite a lot, you know, because you need to transport your kids from A to B and you are also the car is like this extra little house outside your home. And um, I don't know, I just, and then we looked up and of course there was also this thing that Denmark is actually the country in the world that has the largest divorce rate uh, Hmm. two years ago. So there was all these things that kind of came together. Um, And then it was a really long sell. It took about two months from 
from that idea came about until the client and the agency said the agency were fairly quick on i gotta say to their credit they were fairly quick on saying that's a good idea let's try and, and push that and ford were pretty open the only thing was that they had a couple of years prior there had been a french commercial where there was this divorcee dad who was bringing his kids to a soccer game or something and he was hitting on another woman or uh, it was some <laughs> like super corny spot but yeah. but it got pulled because of this divorce element um but the but the this whatever i think the, maybe the marketing head of marketing there basically decided that he would just do this film and not tell anybody in america about it um and see what happened <laughs> And I mean, to their, you know, that was to their credit that they did that. It's all, it also didn't have the hugest budget in the world. So they could also probably do that without, you know, fucking themselves completely. Um, but yeah, they were brave. It was really cool. That's, that's kind of what happened. And, um, and then another great thing was that they didn't really, they didn't have much things they wanted to change once the film was written and, they didn't have really anything they wanted to change once the film was was shot and edited. So yeah, that's that was also really yeah, it's really big. I've never tried that before <laughs> on a commercial. Now, now is that something that you're now taking to other brands or anything like that? That you're saying, hey, look, we did this short film, this kind of branded branded content piece. Have you have you guys, you know, your production company or anyone you know, try to sell that kind of that kind of concept to do more of those things? Because that seems like a, I mean, compared to doing a 30 second, you know, product based yeah. spot, that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a project, I'm not sure I can talk about it. That's basically kind of the deal. <laughs> um, it's not something I'm involved with, but um, but yeah, um, the agency and, uh, and us are working on something new, um, which is very different. Um, it involves virtual reality. I think I can say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but yeah, basically, it's um, it's um, a guy who has been a creative at Ogilvy in New York, who's a Danish guy who moved home. Who is he's we're, basically he's we're gonna have him as a director here. A guy named Andreas Hoff, um, and he's he's developing the project. So when it comes around, I'll send it to you. Guys. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, love to yeah, check yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, what, 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 so with this Ford spot, what kind of reaction were, were you expecting and, you know, were you, were you kind of surprised by the response that it did get? Yes, very. <laughs> yes, it was weird. I was, um, right the day before we, we posted the spot, I, I went, I left for, a vacation uh, in Southeast Asia and I woke up and I was in Bangkok airport and all these articles had come about while I was on the plane from Copenhagen. <laughs> um, it was crazy. Yeah. I didn't expect it at all. I, I knew kind of, I was, well, basically this is what you do. I think quite a lot as a commercial director, I was telling the client and the agency that this would happen. <laughs> I was tell you know, I was getting tell, yourself was, to believe it. Yeah, I mean, I was just telling them because I wanted them to do the film. I wanted to do the film, and I said, if you do this, you're gonna—it's gonna be like, what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a lot of attention on this because it's such a special thing that you're doing. And I had no idea that it would, whatever, get on Huffington Post or Daily Mail or, um, I mean, to everybody's credit, there was also people involved in sending it around the world and trying to get it picked up. Um, 
but yeah, I was very surprised. Um, also didn't expect that we would win anything this summer in Cam. That was, I was very hungover the day we went <laughs> to receive the prize because I didn't, had no idea. I was, <laughs> I was actually, I took a nap in the Pele right before we went on stage because I was so <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, that's funny. Um, so, I mean, so I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the, both the music videos that you did for Rye. That's actually how I first discovered you. Um, thanks. Yeah. I, how, how did that collaboration come about with them? Um, the, the thing started a couple of years before I have, I have some friends, Danish, Danish friends, uh, who are in a band called Quadrant. Um, that's not very well known. Uh, basically they nobody knew them i made a video for them in 2009 i think Mm -hmm. and then when i went to los angeles to study actually they went to la to kind of start their career and try to get out in the world and this was like right when their kind of music was becoming big um so we kind of worked these danish expats in los angeles together um and robin who was doing the music in quadrant also did all the music in rye um and he had a couple of years before had just done this this album with uh with a canadian singer called mike who was living in berlin at the time and they had just done it over six months where he would be coming up to copenhagen and they were doing it in robin's tiny studio in copenhagen um Mm. and then suddenly you know rye people wanted to try and, and put it out there and and robin had seen my new video for when saints go machine and they wanted to do a music video but they didn't want to be in it um so they asked me if i wanted to do a treatment on it and i treated on the fall and i think i did maybe four or five different treatments completely um, completely different in subject I'm matter i'm not sure i'm not sure i think it was i think maybe i did no i think i did maybe two or three different ideas hmm. and then suddenly i was like i was i remember where I was and I was like thinking about, you know, infidelity <laughs> as you do. Um, and, uh, and I, and I pictured like how, what, what would happen if I was sitting with my girlfriend and then suddenly I would see myself kind of pass by with another girl yeah, and she would see it too. And that was like on a bike. And then I was, the whole idea was that I would drive, like hit myself with the car and then, that would be like part of the video. And then money wise, we couldn't do that whole car crash, which is very good. We couldn't do that. Definitely. Why why is that? I think it's a nicer thing that it's just up in his head and this, him and the girl passes by and it's, you don't really know if it's real or not. Right. Um, Right. It would have been too sensational. The other thing basically. Um, But yeah, so and then that was going to be shot in Los Angeles. And then for monetary reasons, we couldn't get it shot over there. We would have to close down streets and shit. And over here, we just basically jumped out of the car. And, you know, yeah, it's just another kind of production environment. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's so that's the first video we did. And then three months later, we did open. And creatively, that was a much harder thing to get through. I think basically... Um, I had started school again and I wasn't really, you know, I was trying really hard to do a treatment that they liked, but I also don't think they really knew what they wanted. Um, and I did a really long treatment. That's when, that's the one project I learned to, you know, how much can you fit into a four minute video? 
I think the story was maybe three pages or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we shot all of that and then we did cut it in Denmark and I came back to LA and it wasn't really finished and, and Robin and me actually finished it editing wise together over there. Um, but that was a long way of describing to you how the Rye videos started. They started, it was nepotism. I, I knew one of the guys in the band. Yeah. I, well, and I'm always curious because I feel like it's different for every music video how involved the band is in the creative process. Mm, you know, how mm. how hands-on were they? Were, did, or did they kind of just like read your treatment? They're like, yeah, I like that. Let's go with it. And they kind of just let you do your thing. It was a bit more free on the first video. The mm-hmm. second one, had a, they had a lot of different um, things they they thought and wanted and that was really confusing actually that that process um but but they're basically they didn't like they weren't on the set they you know the first one was very just like hands-off um and on the second one they were a little bit more hands-on and i and i now i'm saying something that's a bit um you know whatever uh but i think that in in basically every video in the world i think that the more freedom the director has the better yeah we're with for you the, for the yeah <laughs> okay i'm really happy about that. i oh um, at, at yeah. the end of at the end of the uh open i yeah. saw that you brought back those those same actors from yeah, from the yeah. first one what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, i'm happy you noticed that yeah what was there any spe- special reason yeah, for we that were, or? we're actually going to do a third video which had which had kind of the where, where they both those two stories were, were more combined and you had a re- resolution. But then Rye decided they didn't want to do any more videos after uh, Open. Okay. So um, I thought, I think it was the three days track that was going to be the last video. Um, uh, okay. I hadn't really figured out what was going to be the story, but I knew it was something about um, kind of mirroring again, you know, mirroring relationships and, and her looking. I mean, for me, that's it's about her not being able to, in the Open video, she can't involve herself with her boyfriend mm-hmm. and then she sees this happy family who are hanging out and having a good time and she basically thinks to herself okay maybe i should go back and give it another chance um but it's a much less like it's it's not it's not as a a as um strict narrative it's not as as right. you know it's not it's not as clean as the fall um yeah yeah, it leaves a lot up for interpretation. It does, it does. And I, and I'm not sure I like that that much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, kind of yeah. kind of wrap it up. Um yeah. you know, what is what's something that you you now know that you that you wish you knew 5 years ago, you know, in, in the whole world <laughs> of directing. I know it's kind of a broad question, but we can ask everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, maybe just say no to stuff. But well, I'm not sure that would be good for me five five years ago. Yeah, um, <laughs> as a start, as an up and coming director. No, just, I'm all yeah, set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, I mean, it's 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 a really tough one. But I think that saying no is something that you really you really mm-hmm. you have a lot of of uh, anxiety about in the beginning. You know, because you want to succeed and you're not sure that you, you know, filmmaking isn't. There's no solution to it. It's just like, um, it's whatever everybody wants it to be. You know, um. But I think something about listening to your, your your gut feeling a little bit more is something that I that I I'm doing much more now than I did five years ago. Um, also, just this whole thing about doing films where you're where you're the one who actually decides the final 
you know, the final product and trusting your instinct about that um, is, is something that I'm getting better at. Um, but yeah, just, you know, saying no to, to projects you don't want to do or saying, you know, um, being a bit more strict about where, what, what you want your film to be maybe and trusting mm -hmm. that also, um, I think is, is something that I would have liked to be better at. Right. Well, and I, I think that kind of comes down to figuring out what your, your style is too. Cause once you mm. know your, your kind of brand and your style, I feel like it's easier to say no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If don't. It's true. It's true. I was just having a conversation with a, with one of the directors here about how he'd done a film a couple of years ago. Um, this really good commercial for Sennheiser. His name is Tor Franzen. Um, and we were talking, I was just telling, I said to him, I think that's the film where you found your voice. And he was very much in agreement with me. <laughs> and before then he had done a bunch of different films, you know, and, and it's, and it is this thing that you say, you know, it is this thing about finally you're like, Oh, that's, that's, that's what I want to do. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's a bad thing to say to people to say no, because then they'll never find that voice. If yeah. Just mm -hmm. say no to everything. Um, <laughs> I, I hard think, balance, yeah. Yeah, I think it's something to have have in the back of your mind, at yeah, the very least. Maybe this is, but this is just as cliche. But just like trust yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, old Daniel, thank thank you so much. Uh, really, yeah, really can't thank you enough. Uh, really enjoyed speaking with you and and learn about everything you guys got going on over there. It seems like you've got an awesome. Awesome culture, awesome film culture. So, uh, wish thanks, you, we wish you the best of luck. Me. Thanks for doing this podcast. It's very, very interesting. I'm happy you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're looking forward to to the future of it and getting getting some more people on there and and definitely having having you on there is gonna help to get Sounds us uh, some some more some more uh, names. So, yeah. Well, if not, you you got one more listener now at least. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Sweet, our, our moms and you. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and my mom as well. So you have actually great, sweet, <laughs> awesome. All right, okay. well, thanks again, Daniel. Have a great you one. Too. Take care. All right, we'll talk to you later. So there you go. I mean, that's a that's a guy uh, who definitely has a different perspective. Um, he's working both overseas and in the states. Um, so, Kurt, what you learned today? Well, I think uh, first and foremost, I learned that Denmark is not a city, so that was uh, that was interesting. No, it's not. For Direct Podcast, I'm Keenan Wetzel. And I'm Kurt Schneider. We'll see you next time with a new director and some new questions. Uh -huh.